You know what? I stand up here singing tonight, and you guys really sounded good. I don't know how it sounded out there, but it really sounded good up here. It just really feels like the Spirit of God is uh, with us. He's always with us. He's never not with us. But you know, I was sitting up here thinking, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody gets born again tonight. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sin that gets repented of tonight. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and Tyler and the, and the worship team did such a great job. Those songs were, were the sermon. Um, and what is, the, what is a reasonable response to Jesus Christ? As Jay Hall says, I'm giving you all of me. That's it. That's a reasonable response. We would give all of ourselves to this awesome, awesome creator, redeemer, God. And you heard the text read, and it's just about Jesus tonight, you know? Don't you love it? You know, you, you get in the Bible, and, and uh, it's just about Jesus tonight, and we just get to look at him. And uh, so, I want to I, I open, and I want to ask you, why you? And why me? Why your children? Why dogs and cats and badgers and bumblebees? Why salamanders and hummingbirds and aardvarks? Why mountains and trees and flowers and oceans? Why microscopic creatures under rocks in the blackest, deepest part of the sea? Why nebulae and supernovas and black holes? Why billions of galaxies? Why anything? Why everything? We are Bible-believing Christians, and we should be able to answer that question without hesitation. We should be able to answer that question. What is the purpose, objective, reason, and aim for all things? Does anybody know? The glory of God. It's about the glory of God. So why does God create? Was it because He was lonely? And he needed a friend. Why does God create? Theologically, biblically, there's only one answer. For his glory. That's why you and why me and supernovas and bumblebees. For the glory of God. I love John Piper's quote here. And I, I know I, I share this quote with you quite frequently. I try to work it in anytime I can. So here it is. In creation, God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Don't you love that? God's gone public with His glory. I love that. I think that's awesome. Piper continues, So the eternal happiness of the Godhead spilled over into the work of creation. All His works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Now, there's about three tons of theology there and about 50 sermons. God has gone public with His glory. That's why everything. <laughs> That's why everything. There's one thing we know for sure as Bible believers. We know who it's not about. Who is it not about? It's not about us. It's never been about us. It's never going to be about us. It's always going to be about Jesus. And anytime you're in a church and it's, they're just preaching man-centered gospel, 
You need to run out of that place. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about how we subject our lives to Him and we serve Him and we honor Him and we glorify Him in our lives. That's what the church is about. It's not how Jesus can serve us. It's how we can what? Serve Him. Yes, He serves us. He's our Redeemer. He's our Savior. It's not about that. Yes, we worship Him for that. It's about how we might honor Him. That's what the church is about. That is what the church is about. You know, we know that much of mankind would disagree with that statement. They, you know, those who are openly self-consumed and self-absorbed, they would, they would say, hey, it's all about me. It's always all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I crave. It's about what I hope. It's about what I desire. You know, some, of the, some people in the world would say that. I think most people would not want to be as openly selfish as saying it, but it's really not what we say, is it? it never is, it's never so much about what we say. It's about what? How we live. How we live, and that's what I want to ask you tonight as we begin uh, this, uh, this time together in the book of Colossians. I want to ask you, if, you had, if there was a disinterested third party, unbiased person who observed your life for the last 12 months, what would they deduce about your life? Would they, would they see that you're obviously a Bible believer because you've ordered your life around Jesus Christ, His Lordship, His words, His authority, his commands, His commission. Would someone be able to say, hey, they get it. They get Colossians 1.16. That we were created by Him and what? For Him. They get it. Or would they see someone who's hopelessly self-absorbed? And that, yes, they, they must believe that their life is all about them. I love how John Piper says it, man. He just says it. He says, you know, he says, uh, human life is all about God, period. That's true. That's the Bible. <laughs> That's Colossians 1.16. Human life is all about God. It's not just a little bit about God. It's all about God. It's not just a little bit about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If we've rightly understood who we are in the order of things. While Rick Warren is by no means my favorite preacher or author, um, he says it really well in The Purpose Driven Life. Listen to what Rick Warren says. He writes, You must begin with God, your Creator. You exist only because He wills that you exist. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, your life will never make sense. He continues, You were made for God, not vice versa. And life is about letting God use you for His purposes, not you using Him for your own purposes. You know, Gosh, does it make you nuts? You know, I mean, when you listen to some of this garbage that's being preached in many pulpits today, and it's almost like you walk away and you think, hey, the whole universe does revolve around me. And God just is here to make me happy. And God's just here to serve me. Friends, it's not about you. And I, I say that to you lovingly. So you can get your, your, your life ordered around the one who it is about. And our life should be radically about Christ. And I apologize. I watched the John Piper sermon before I came. <laughs> so there's my, uh, yeah, there's my qualification. God's people are to be radically about Him. Not just a little bit on Sunday. 
radically about Him. Monday through Saturday. Friends, that's why bumblebees and supernovas. It's about Jesus. Everything from the, the microscopic creature under that rock in the deepest part of the sea to the supernova on the farthest side of the galaxy, it's all about Jesus, and you're in there. So here's what I want to say to you. You, your soul, your life, your body, your singleness, your marriage, your kids, uh, your sexuality, your career, your money, your investments, your possessions, your hobbies, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sicknesses, and even your death are all meant to bring glory to God. Can anyone say amen? amen. That's what it's about. Say, Jim, that's radical. I know. The gospel's radical. If you actually read this, it's unbelievably radical. It's unbelievably radical. Paul said it perfectly. Whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. I love how my old pastor used to say it. I share this with you a lot. But, you know, what does it mean to glorify God? Here's a simple way to remember it. That you're to make Jesus famous. That's what it means. In your orbit, you're making Jesus famous. That's all it means. You glorify Christ in your family, at work, in school. You glorify Christ at the party, um, at the restaurant, whatever, in your neighborhood. You glorify Christ. You glorify Jesus. You make Him famous. While none of us do that particularly well or perfectly, that should be the drive and focus and aim of our lives. As I told you two weeks ago, as we began the, the, the small letter of Colossians, uh, the Holy Spirit has prompted Paul to confront heresy and to refute it. In short, false teachers were teaching that you need Christ plus something to be saved. And that's still, wow, that's still prevalent today, right? You've got to have Christ. To, of course, in, the, in the, what was affecting the church of Colossae, they were saying that you have to have Christ plus legalism. They were saying you have to have Christ plus higher knowledge. Or you've got to have Christ plus mystical or ecstatic experiences to be saved. It was that Christ plus message that's still so prevalent today. And as we discussed two weeks ago, Satan has always attacked the simple and pure gospel of, of Jesus Christ. That we are saved uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Satan has always attacked the gospel. Anytime you encounter a Christ plus message, it is always demonic. You say, Jim, that's real strong. I know it's real strong. That's just the truth. That's the truth. Paul says, if any man, even an angel, should preach a gospel other than the one I preach, let him what? Let him be accursed, the Apostle Paul says. God doesn't take it lightly when men edit him and add to his gospel. I don't care if, if, if they're Catholic or Protestant. If they've added to the gospel, it's wrong. It's, from the, it's, it's the spirit of Antichrist. I promise I won't watch another Piper uh, <laughs> sermon. Well, I can't keep that promise. Christ plus gospels are always wrong. And the Holy Spirit is saying to us in Colossians, He's saying to you and to me and to all mankind, you don't need anything but Christ. 
If you're interested in the salvation of your soul, you don't need anything but Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. All you need. All you need is Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. And Paul just simply holds Jesus up in these, in these few verses that we're going to look at tonight. He just holds Jesus up and he says, look. He says, look how awesome he is. Look how beautiful he is. Look how magnificent he is. Look how spectacular he is. He's God. And it's almost like I can, I can sense, you know, this is just Jim in the white, split, white spaces, but I, I can just sense, you know, that, that the Holy, Paul's wanting to write, you know, something that the Holy Spirit won't let him write. Paul's wanting to write, you've got to be kidding me. You think you can add anything to Jesus Christ? You think you need to buttress his finished work? You've got to be kidding me. I can almost hear Paul. I can almost hear him between the lines here. Challenging these false teachers. You must be kidding me. I want to say to you, friends, this may be the highest form of blasphemy to add to the gospel. And churches all over the world are doing it in the name of Christianity. It may be the highest form of blasphemy to say you must add something to the finished work of Jesus on the cross to save His people. It must be a stench in His nostrils to hear anyone claim to be a Christian, to claim to be a minister and say something like that. Colossians 1, 15-19. You heard the text read. I won't reread it. You heard it. Red, Paul says, look. Paul says, look. You don't need anything but this awesome Redeemer God. His name is Jesus Christ. Paul says, look. You know, some say that Jesus was kind of a sub-God or a semi-God or He's kind of a phantom or a, a spirit or He was only a man. Uh, he was a, maybe a, a, a great prophet or, or, or a good teacher, but, you know, C.S. Lewis is right. Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. If we're Bible believers, if we actually, you know, believe what the Word says on the page, if we have some integrity with the text, Jesus can't be merely a good man. Why is that so? Because He claims to be God. So He's either a lunatic or He's God, and you have to decide. And everyone in your orbit has to decide, is Jesus a lunatic? Because he claimed to be God. So is he a lunatic? Or is he in fact God incarnate? The Bible is unmistakably clear. It is unapologetic. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is the God-man. He is the God-man. And his deity is always under attack in the world. It's always under attack. Satan is always attacking it. The spirit of Antichrist is always attacking it. The Bible asserts that God is in that manger. The Bible asserts that God is on the cross. Emmanuel. God with us. Look at verse 15. The Holy Spirit reveals that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John 4.24 tells us that God is spirit. He has no uh, visible, physical, tangible body. He is omniscient spirit. He fills heaven and earth. 1 Timothy 1.17 tells us that God is the immortal, invisible God. Okay? Listen to how the Holy Spirit says it in, in John 1 uh, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. 
Now, we know that God was, that manifestations of God were seen in the Old Testament. We know that God would manifest Himself to men. But no man, let me finish uh, John 1, 18, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus has explained Him. No man has ever seen the spiritual essence and fullness of God. What did He tell Moses? What did God tell Moses in Exodus uh, uh, 33, I think it was? What did He tell him? No man can see my face and live. It's almost like every molecule in your body would explode to see the awesome beauty of God. He says, no man can see my face and live. Jesus Christ is God. He has explained God. He's not a sub-God. He's not a, a semi-God. He's not an angel. He's not a phantom. He's not a spirit. He's not a prophet. He's God. And I trust that's why every one of us are sitting in this room because we believe that. And I trust that every one of us are living that. Radically. Radically. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases John 1.18. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made God plain as day. I like that. Jesus has made God plain as day to us. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Again, the message paraphrases Hebrews 1.3 like this. This Son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. I love that. At the end of verse 15, notice it says that He is the firstborn of all creation. I, I'm sure that uh, many, if not most of you, are aware that the, Jehovah, the cult known as the Jehovah's Witnesses like to exploit this language in, uh, in this verse here. They want to assert that Jesus was the first created being, right? He's the first created being from the hand of Jehovah. He's not God. He's a created being. That's the, uh, the, the assertion that Jehovah's Witnesses like to make. And I'm not going to waste uh, good pulpit time refuting that obvious perversion of God's Word. You know... The Scripture interprets Scripture. And if we just do a superficial reading of the Bible, we understand that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is asserting that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only does Scripture interpret Scripture, but the Greek language here refutes uh, the claims of the JWs. Uh, uh, what, is, what is the Holy Spirit communicating to us when it says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation? It's simply, it's simply saying to us that He has the rights of inheritance. He's the Son. He's the firstborn. He's the legal heir. That's all that means. He's first. It's, it's, the connotation is that he, he, is, he has the rights of inheritance. That's what the Holy Spirit is communicating to us right there. Hebrews 1, 2 amplifies this truth. It reads, In these last days God has spoken to us in His Son who He appointed heir of all things. Now, that's wonderfully illustrated in Revelation chapter 5. You remember Revelation chapter 5? No one was found worthy to open the, the book of, with the seven seals on it. You remember? And John begins to weep because no one's found worthy. But wait. You remember what happens? Uh, you remember what happens? There is one that's found. He's the one that has the rights of inheritance. He's the ranking, the ranking son. He's the legal heir. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Lamb that was slain. And I'm just going to turn and read this uh, to you. You can turn with me if you like. 
Revelation chapter 5. Man, I need to get this in a sermon at least once a month. Revelation chapter 5. This is Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again Christian tonight, this is your Savior right here. Listen to this. I love this text. They couldn't find anybody worthy. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when He, this is Jesus, had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a, a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy! We need to learn this song, Tyler. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Verse 10, And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and a priest and, and priest to our God, and they shall uh, reign upon the earth. Verse 11, And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them were myriads upon of, of myriads and thousands of thousands. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? That's our Savior. Don't you dare add anything to the Gospel. Don't you dare add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ at your own peril. At your own peril. Paul says, let any man who adds anything to Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Friends, it just doesn't get any plainer than that. That's our God. All of heaven erupts in worship when the Lamb appears. When the Lion of Judah appears heaven erupts into worship and that's what that's what paul's saying to to all of us don't you dare add anything to the finished work of the living god don't you dare do that look at verse 16 and 17 paul says he continues to enumerate the credentials of Jesus Christ, he says, for by him all things were created. All things have been created by him and for him. And uh, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I love how John 1.3 says it. All things came into being by Jesus Christ and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. The baby in the manger and the man on the cross, he is the creator God. I know that boggles our minds. But that's the assertion of the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who effortlessly spoke the 11 billion times 6 trillion 50 plus billion galaxies into existence. As easily as you and I exhale, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He said, let it be, and there it was. He creates ex nihilo. He does not have to have uh, working materials. He speaks and stuff happens. I love that, what that Puritan Thomas Watson said. He said, you know, it takes infinite power to create. All the world can't create a fly. But God creates 50 plus billion galaxies. The Lord Jesus does. 
as effortlessly as we exhale. And as Job told Bildad, these are the fringes of his ways. We haven't seen anything yet. And as the prophet Habakkuk says, this is the hiding of his power. Beloved, believe it. This is the hiding of your God's power. Fifty billion galaxies is the hiding of his power. We haven't seen anything yet. It will take a billion eternities to even begin to see all his power and all his beauty and all his godness. Paul says Jesus Christ created everything, both heaven and earth, visible and, invi- and invisible. And then he goes into this thing and he says, uh, he mentions the thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. What's he saying there? Those are just simply ranks of angels. That's all that is. Just ranks of angels. And Paul wants to make that point because there's some in in, uh, Colossae who want to to have the people worship angels. One, they're asserting that Jesus is no more than an angel. And two, they're saying we should worship the angels. And what is Paul's point here? He made the angels. What do you mean worship them? He made them. He's the creator God. This is Paul's point here in this text. I love how Hebrews 1 says it. The Holy Spirit says the same thing over there. Listen to what he says. He says, For to which of the angels did the Father ever say, Thou art my Son? Amen? Sit, right, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool, a footstool for thy feet. The Holy Spirit says all things were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. That is the most oft-repeated, uh, quoted uh, verse in this pulpit. I know I probably throw it in once a month at least. Why do you think that is? Why do you think I remind you so uh, frequently that all things were created by Him and for Him? Can anyone think why that might be the case? Because Piper's right. <clears throat> Human life is all about God. If you don't understand Colossians 1.16, you don't understand why you're here, you don't understand what you're supposed to do, and you don't understand where you're going. If you don't understand Colossians 1.16, arguably one of the most important passages in the Bible, we were created by Him and, someone tell me, for Him. Do you live like that, friends? I know I'm jazzed up. You just have to forgive me when I get like this. I can't help it, man. You spend a week studying about Christ. I dare you. I dare you not to have a red face. I dare you to not be, you know, I just dare you not to, you know, to, to be able to be calm when you've been looking at him all week. I dare you. You can't do it. He's too awesome. He's too awesome. He's too beautiful. This is the most foundational and fundamental truth for all humankind. It is about him. If we don't know Colossians 1.16, if we don't really believe that, we're clueless. That's why you see the rest of the world doing what it's doing. It's clueless. They're clueless about why they're here and what they're here for. But we're Bible believers. We understand what the awesome God tells us. The atheist, the agnostic, the secularist, the humanist, the animist, the New Ager, the Buddhist, the Hindu, the Muslim, the Orthodox Jew, and even those merely religious Christians are ultimately clueless if they don't understand Colossians 1.16. Clueless. If we do not understand it. But we get it. We're Bible believers. We get it. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. 
It's not about us. That's why you and me and bumblebees and flowers and supernovas. It's about Jesus. Romans 10, 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. I love how the message paraphrases that. Let me share it with you. Listen to what it says. Everything comes from Jesus. Everything happens through Jesus. Everything ends up in Jesus. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Don't you love that? It's about Him, man. It's about Him. It's about our awesome and beautiful warrior shepherd God. It's never not been about Jesus. It's like Paul. I know this is just me. But when I was studying this this week, I was just like, I know Paul's got to be thinking, man, you've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. You think you can add religion to Jesus. You have got to be kidding me. That somehow your religion is meritorious before God. Somehow you need to add that to the finished work of Jesus. You have got to be kidding me. I can just hear it. I'll talk to him when I get there. But, you know, you know, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to add legalism to Jesus? You're going to add legalism to the cross? You've got to be kidding me. That's blasphemy. Religious, adding religious performance to the finished work of Jesus. It's, it's blasphemy. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The Holy Spirit is uh, asserting here that Jesus, uh, the eternality of, of Jesus Christ, He is before all things. You guys know the great text, uh, John 1, 1 and 2. And the, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was not from the beginning. Jesus was, someone tell me, in the beginning. He was there. He's the great eternal creator God. In other words, in the beginning before the beginning began was Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Look what else Paul says there in verse 17. He says he holds all things together. Uh, Hebrews 1.3 says the same thing. Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of His power. You guys remember that you guys that were here when we did our Genesis 1 uh, study of, of creation. You may remember we talked about the, the fine-tuning or just-so conditions that, that are found upon the earth that enable life to flourish here and enable life to actually be possible here. You know, it's just the precision, precision of the physics, the, the precision of gravity and the energy density of space, the electromagnetic force, the nuclear force, etc., 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 the carbon cycle, the oxygen cycle, the nitrogen cycle, the phosphorus cycle, etc., 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 to the proximity of the sun and moon to the earth. All these things have to be just right. And scientists are in awe of how finely tuned the earth is. Even the unbelievers, they're in awe of it. What does Paul say? It's upheld by the word of his power. That's why it all holds together. This week I was doing some uh, extracurricular reading and... and uh, I was reading about the nucleus of the atom. Does anyone know anything about it? Good. <laughs> so I can just really, you know, you'll believe anything I say, right? Um, the nucleus of the atom. You know, scientists don't understand why it stays together. Is it not true that like charges repel? And they don't understand why it holds together. They really don't. They hypothesize that there's some kind of nuclear glue. But they don't know 
what it is. They don't know why it holds together. They really don't. The most fundamental uh, building block of, of, of humanity and creation, they don't really understand why it's ho uh, held together. In fact, they believe there might be a little particle called gluon. Paul says it's not gluon. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? He's holding it together. He's holding it together. And that's why, that's why creation will go out in a blaze. Fallen creation will go out in a blaze. That Peter passage. When Jesus removes His power from that uh, nucleus of the cell and it just all blows up. Just all blows up. I, I love that stuff. It gets me jazzed. Okay, let's finish up. 18, 19. Uh, Paul just tells us the obvious here that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the beginning of the church. He's the source and cause and reason of the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. What's he saying? He's the first resurrection in the church. That's all that Paul is saying to us. I like what MacArthur points out to us here. He says that being the head of an organic body, the head of an organic body performs two main functions. It controls growth and it controls direction. We know that the pituitary gland controls our growth, right? It's in the brain. It's in the head of the body. Matthew 16, Jesus told His men that He would build His church. You guys know this. If you've been here very long, ICM doesn't engage in man-centered church growth strategies. We take Jesus at His word and we trust Jesus to build His church. We just preach the truth and let people come and go as they please. If they don't like it, they leave. I don't want them to leave. But we're not going to change the Word. We're not going to edit the truth to try to be palpable to the, the uh, sensibilities of fallen man. We're not ever going to do that. So we trust Jesus Christ to build His church. The second thing is Jesus Christ is directing His body and ICM bows to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. We don't care what popes say or what councils say or what conventions say or what men say. They may say good things, but we don't ultimately care what they say. We only care what God says. That's who we are at this church. You know, and I have people all the time, they just can't take the heat, man. You know, they can't. They tell me, I don't, you know, you're nuts. It's crazy. I love when I, I'm, and I'm about done, but I love the, uh, when, I, when I read this, you know, when I, when I was reading these, these passages, it kind of reminded me of when we, when we looked at that book, First John, you remember how John started, and he was addressing false teaching, and uh, essentially John was saying, you know, he said, I told you what I heard the word, the word of life say, I, I, I told you that I saw the word of life, I told you that I handled the word of life, you know, and it was like he was saying to to uh, the people he was writing to, he says, nothing's changed since the, since the message I gave you before. Nothing's changed. In fact, he says, if something's changed, it's wrong. If someone's added something to the message, it's wrong. If someone's added religion to the simple gospel of Christ, it's wrong. That's what First John says. You may remember, he was quite the black and white preacher. He says, I'm not going to tell you anything new because I'm just going to reiterate what I told you from the beginning. Jesus is enough. The cross of Jesus is enough. So anytime someone changes the, the original biblical message, they're wrong. And if you find yourself in a church that has added a bunch of junk onto Jesus, I suggest you leave. I say that to you lovingly. I suggest you run for the door. Anyone who adds to the gospel is wrong, whether Catholic or Protestant. If you've added to the gospel...
And it's a stench in the nostrils of the living God. So Paul says, Jesus is God. He's eternal, everlasting, Alpha, Omega. He's omnipotent, omniscient creator and sustainer of everything. He's the source, origin, reason, Lord and sovereign over the church. He's the incarnate, crucified, buried, resurrected, redeemer God. And Paul says, between the lines, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to add something to him. You're going to add religious activity to him. And you're going to say you need to do something in addition to simply believing in the gospel of Jesus and receiving, receiving it by faith. Verse 19, we're finished. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. And Paul will re reiterate this in Colossians 2.9. Let me just read it to you. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Paul is telling us, man, it's not about you and it's not about your religion. It's about Jesus. He's all you need. And if you're an unbeliever here tonight, I'm going to say to you, He's all you need. He's all you need. And I'm going to challenge you to flee to Him and receive Him for the forgiveness of your sins that you might live forever with Jesus. He's all you need. And Christian, I'm going to challenge you to live like He's all you need. I'm going to challenge you to live like you believe He's that awesome God receiving adoration in heaven. I'm going to challenge you to be radical. I always do. But I'm going to challenge you again. Live your Christianity radical. Live your Christianity. What did we learn last week? In a manner what? Worthy. Worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Awesome God. Wow. Thank you for this message. Thank you to... Thank you for this opportunity to just look at Jesus and just be awestruck. Forgive us, O oh Lord, if we ever entertain the thought of adding anything to Him. Forgive us, O oh Lord, that we have not just cast ourselves upon the sufficiency of the finished work of the Son of God at the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Forgive us, O oh Lord, if we played religion Forgive us, Father, if we've ever tolerated anyone to speak that you need Christ plus something else. Forgive us, Lord, if we've ever entertained that. Father, I pray we'd be students of the Word. I pray we'd be students of the Word. And Lord, we fall so in love with You that we would not care what the world says. We don't care about the ridicule. We don't care about the insults. We don't care about the lost job. We don't care about the lost promotion. We don't care what anybody says. We don't care. We're so focused on the beauty of Jesus. So focused on the beam of seat. So focused on the promised reward. Oh Lord, help us to learn that awesome truth. It is not about us. It is not about our comfort. It is not about our ease. It is not about our prosperity. It is about an awesome gospel that you've left with us to share with the world. Oh God, may we take that serious. We love you, beautiful Lord, in Jesus' name.